This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. I had it on, then I turned it off. I always make myself nervous because sometimes when I go put my instrument up, I flip that switch that turns it on, and then I come out and I'm like, did I flip it or not? And I come out and I flip it, and I'm like, did I flip it or not? So I did not, but I did. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that you came to church today. We're wrapping up our series called Broke, talking about finances from God's perspective and what His Word says about finances. Past couple of weeks, We've been talking about this, so this has been a three-part series, and if you missed either one of the previous ones, I would encourage you to go back and listen to those, um, because today we're going to be wrapping up. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The provision of prosperity. We're going to talk about what real prosperity is today. Now, I've given you guys a little bit of history of how I grew up, and I've talked to you a little bit about some of the things that I've experienced so far as the way that God approaches finances versus the way that I was kind of brought up to believe that God approached finances. And the way that I grew up, just to kind of sum it all up, was pretty much a give-to-get type mentality of, you know, I'm giving towards this because I need things, because somehow things are going to fill some void in my life that Jesus is inadequate to fill. And that's how, basically, I was brought up. Uh, I I was brought up in uh, the type of environment where you would hear someone tell a testimony of how they gave in a church offering and they were directed by the Lord to do so and then they would be brought up on the platform because they were struggling financially, didn't know how they were going to pay their bills. Next thing you know, there was a $10,000 check in their mailbox anonymously and they had no idea where it came from and praise God, well the rest of the people took that as a formula to try to mimic to get the same result. So they would say, well let me do what they did so I can get what they got and that's how I was brought up is everything is a formula. God is basically a formula and if I do this, this, this and this then I'll get the things that I really want instead of somehow Thinking that Jesus is what I really need, I see that there are things that show me, hmm, this is really going to make me happy. This is trying to sell me the idea that I am going to be incomplete unless I have this. So somehow Jesus is going to give me these things because he really wants me to be happy. But yet, if it's things that makes me happy, I believe I'm kind of missing the point. And so that's kind of how I was brought up is to believe that those things would make me happy. And I think that I was missing the point growing up. So as I grew in the Word and as I grew in my relationship with God, I began to understand what true satisfaction and true fulfillment is. So as I say this title, The Provision of Prosperity, this morning, we're going to learn what the true provision of God's prosperity for you and for me is. Because we oftentimes are struggling. We oftentimes are going, I need help. I need a way out. I need some answers. And we want victory. But the problem with victory is that it just doesn't fall in our laps because we're a good person. Victory doesn't just fall in our laps because you're always doing the right thing. Matter of fact, victory doesn't com- never comes without strategy. God gives strategy for victory. If you think that it's just going to happen just because you've somehow earned victory, no, then that's wrong. That's a wrong way to approach victory in your life. It's a wrong way to approach victory in finances. There has to be a strategy if there's going to be a victory. You can look at this all throughout Scripture. Sometimes God's strategies did not make any sense at all. I've got an idea. There's a city that has big giant walls and they need to fall. 
Well, God, I guess we're going to need a construction crew. We're going to need some uh, bomb technicians. Nope, just need you guys to walk around it a few times and blow your horns at the end. What? That doesn't make sense. That doesn't seem like a very viable strategy, but yet it was God's strategy, and it worked. Hey, how about um, we go face the Midianites at some, you know, an army of about 350,000, and why don't you just take 300 guys with you? Okay. And I want you guys to just smash the, 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 these, these pots that you put over your lamps and raise them up. And I want you to begin to just say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And I want you just to begin to shout. And I want you to begin to surround them. That doesn't make any sense. We're 300. There are 350,000. It made sense to God. Strategy worked. How about another strategy that God gave victory in? We see a young boy who was tending to his father's sheep. He's going to deliver the children of Israel from the oppression of the invading Philistine army because their champion was a giant named Goliath. And he didn't say, all right, I'm going to bless you with a supernatural bazooka and a supernatural tank, and we are going to go take this sucker out. No, he said, hey, what do you got? I got a slingshot and some stones. That'll do. (laughs) And God used that. The strategy did not make sense, but yet there was a strategy. There was another time that there was a king named Jehoshaphat that was going to go uh, actually invade and actually take care of this, this army that was going to destroy Israel. And God said, I'm going to give you the victory, but I don't want you to take any weapons at all. I just want you to take the praise and worship team. Really? And I just want you to go play some worship music, and you're just going to go worship the Lord. And don't worry, I'm going to take care of the rest. So God gives strategy. So we need to understand that there is no victory without a strategy. But sometimes the strategy doesn't make sense in our mind because we're looking for something that we can say, okay, I need victory in finances in my life, so let me thumb through the Word of God and tell me how to have victory, and I just want to do this, 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 and this. Well, sometimes God gives us strategies, folks, and they don't always make sense. Too many people often look for the easiest way to get out of their problems with little or no strategy involved. And they're going, I want the quick fix. I want the quick answer. I want to be the person that stands up on the stage and tells a testimony about how I gave this money and then there was a check in the mail the next day. I want that testimony. That's, that's the strategy I like. And we want that one. Sign me up for that one. But yet God may not work that exact way in your life because you can't can God. Ooh, somebody needs to tweet that. You can't can God. <clears throat> You can can lots of things, but you can't put God in a can. You can't put God in a box and tell him how he's going to operate and how he's going to do things. Jesus healed lots of blind folks. Sometimes he laid his hands on them. Sometimes he spoke to them. Sometimes he spit in the ground and made mud and slapped it on their eyes. The way our society and our mentality works is that we would think there's something magical about Jesus' spit and we would want to bottle it and market it and sell it in the marketplace. Got eye problems? Get you some Jesus spit. Because that's how we look at things. We think that was the answer. That wasn't the answer. That was a method that he used to bring about something in that person's life. There is no victory without strategy, but the strategies do not always make sense. And I think that there's times in our lives where we're looking for that canned answer. Where we're looking for something that's, that, that, that's, that's just a fix-it-all, that's really quick. Oh, I don't want a strategy. I don't want God's plan. I don't want to seek Him out. I don't want to seek what He wants me to do. I just want you to tell me how to get out of this situation the quickest way possible. And I think that a lot of times that we're living financially in a way where we just hope that we have enough. Oh, I hope I have enough to take care of everything 
Or we'll waste the extra when we do have extra on foolishness. Or we look at the short term instead of the long term. And I think a lot of times we create unnecessary stress. And then because we've created this unnecessary stress in our lives because of things we thought we had to have, now we have this stress that we have put in our lives and we're saying, God, bail me out yesterday. We're saying, God, bail me out. And then God will show you and reveal to you strategies to be able to get where it is that he wants you to go and to walk in that victory. But you need to understand something if you belong to Christ. Even if the situation you're in financially is a result of your own stupidity, your own foolishness, your own selfishness, or if it is a result of a circumstance that you had no control over. You know, if, if you lost your job or, or something happened that was outside of the realm of your control, understand this if you belong to Christ. You already have victory in Jesus. Amen. I want you to get this today because as we're talking about the provision of prosperity, a lot of times I believe that people get their ears tuned up to think, okay, what's going to be the secret? What's, what's the secret sauce? What's the, what's the step that I need to understand? Here's God's provision for you. Are you ready for this? Hold on to your seat. Hold on to your neighbor because you might just fly out of your chair. God's provision for you is Jesus. God's provision for you is Jesus. When we say prosperity, what we mean is gain in our lives. That's what we mean. We're saying gain. The problem is, is that our definition of prosperity in America is stuff. We think that he who has the most stuff in the end wins. He who has the biggest title in front of his or her name in the end wins. And that makes them important. That makes them matter. So we spend our lives chasing after things in position only to fill some void that is in our lives that was never meant to be filled by stuff. It was only meant to be filled by Jesus. And God's provision for you and me, His provision of prosperity is Jesus. What better gain should you and I have to boast about other than Jesus? Because He is all we need. Amen. Matthew 5 and 6 says that blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. How can I hunger and thirst after righteousness? Because here's the thing, folks. I can't find or obtain righteousness in and of myself. So therefore, the righteousness can't come from me. So if I'm hungering and thirsting after righteousness, it must not be something within myself or that I can accomplish on my own. Because otherwise, I would be the answer. And I just need to search within myself because I'm the answer. No, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness was Jesus' way of saying in the Sermon on the Mount that blessed are you if you're hungering and thirsting after me because I'm the only one who can make you righteous or in right standing in the eyes of God. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness because you are going to be filled when you search for me. When you seek, when you hunger, when you thirst, then you're truly going to be satisfied. 
I believe that we need to stop trying to fix ourselves and everything around us and start getting to know Jesus more. Because He is the answer. He is the answer. We can spend our entire lives trying to fix ourselves, fix our problems, fix someone else's problems, or we can spend the rest of our lives getting to know Jesus more and allowing Him to do what only He can do in our hearts and our lives. Because so many times we try to work on the exterior and we try to fix up the exterior. But if the heart doesn't change, if the heart is not receptive to Christ, then it's something that we're trying to do on our own in our own strength and we will fail. We will relapse back into bad financial habits if we don't give our heart to Jesus and allow Him to change our hearts. Amen? You can try to do all the best practices that you want to try with your finances. You can try all the best tips, all the best tricks. But if there is not a heart change, understanding that what I have is not mine, it belongs to God. If I don't have that heart change and it doesn't become a reality to me, I'm going to slip right back into the poor management habits that I've had before, no matter how good of a tip that I get on how to fix my finances. Same thing with your marriage. Same thing with the way that you are at work. Same things with your, your family. Until we allow Jesus to take hold of our heart, we're just simply trying to fix something on the exterior and we're setting ourselves up to fail. And then people get mad at God and they point their finger at Him and they say, I did this, 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 and this, and nothing's different. And He's saying, yes, but you didn't give me your heart. You didn't give me your heart. You tried to fix the exterior in your own strength. You tried to do all this in your own strength, but you didn't give me your heart because if you would have given me your heart, you would have been able to walk this stuff out and find what the answer truly is. Find what satisfaction truly is. You see, you can learn all the best management practices in the world. You can learn all of the best habits that you should have in the world. And I can sit here and give you a laundry list of things that you should be doing and make everybody in this room feel pretty bad about themselves. How many of you have ever heard those types of messages before and you felt pretty bad after it was over with because you're like, man, I'm terrible. Jeez. <laughs> wow. I'm a terrible manager. Oh. And you feel really bad about it. Let me tell you something. Feeling bad about something is not motivation to change. It doesn't work. It doesn't last because it doesn't change the heart. See, it's the kindness of the Lord that brings us to repentance. Repentance is true change. It's the kindness, it's the love of Christ that brings us to true repentance and true change. So we can learn all the best habits, all the best practices in the world, but if the heart doesn't change and the heart doesn't recognize that this all belongs to God. If the heart doesn't recognize that it's truly Him that I'm living for and truly Him that I'm serving, if the heart doesn't recognize that it's all about Jesus and I still think it's somehow all about me, then I'm going to slip back into those bad habits all over again. So we need to stop trying to fix ourselves and start trying to know Jesus more because money is not your answer. Jesus is. Money will never be your answer, Jesus is. Oh, pastor, you don't know my situation. If I had more money, whew, that would be the answer. Let me tell you why money's not the answer. Because you're not really wanting money in your life. Uh, yes, I am. Honey, we need to find another church. This pastor's crazy. <laughs> I may be crazy. You may be right. 
But money is not the answer to your financial problem because you're not really looking for money. What you're really looking for is what you think the money is going to bring you. And you think the money is going to bring you peace. You think the money is going to bring you joy. You think the money is going to bring you satisfaction. Those are all things we should find in Jesus. Those are all things we should find in Jesus. Because we say things that I feel we don't sometimes really understand. Because we know the right things to say. And so sometimes we can disillusion ourselves. Especially someone like me who was raised up in church and knows the right church things to say. And I can say the right church things at the right church time. Oh, Jesus is all I need. I'll sing the song. He's all I need. Jesus is all I need. Except right now I'm thinking about the bills that I have to pay. So money is all I need. Oh, except my marriage is falling apart and I need help is all I need. I'm freaking out and stressing out about this thing at work. And so you know what? This change or this change is all I need. And we sing and we say, Jesus is all we need. And God is more than enough. Can I get an amen, somebody? Woo, high five your neighbor and tell him, God is enough for me. Yes. And we walk out the doors of a church building and nothing's changed. Because we know to say Jesus is all we need, but we don't really understand how much he is the answer because we're not seeking those things from him that can only truly be found in him. Life everlasting can be found in Jesus. Joy everlasting can be found in Jesus. Peace everlasting can be found in Jesus, not from just having a fat bank account. Because all of that stuff, I don't care if you're the richest person in the room, all of that money could be worthless tomorrow. All your stuff in your house could all break down and be gone tomorrow. Then what are you going to do? Then what are you going to do? You're going to think, I need more money, I need more stuff, because ah, it brings security, it brings peace. All the things we should find in Jesus. Come on, somebody. If you have your Bible, go to the book of John, fourth chapter. John chapter 4, verse 13. I'll give you a little setup as you're turning there. Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman at a well. <coughs> They're there to get water from this well. And Jesus talks to this lady and says, would you give me a drink of water? She said, you're not supposed to be talking to me, sir. You're a Jewish man and I'm a Samaritan woman. And Jews and Samaritans did not intermingle. They did not talk. They did not interact. And she said, you're not supposed to be talking to me. And he said, woman, he said, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask me to give you a drink. She said, this well's been here for a long time was her answer. This, what are you talking about? And so Jesus begins to explain to her. He said, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that says, Do you give me a drink? You would have asked him for living water. And so she says, Oh, she said, I, I, I'm, I'm interested. Tell me a little bit more about this. And this is what Jesus says in John 4 and verse 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whoever drinks this water, referring to the water in the well, is going to thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. 
Something that blows me away here about what Jesus said that challenges me. I don't know if it challenges you like it challenges me, but I'm just speaking from my perspective and where I'm at in life. Jesus said, if you drink this water, you'll never be thirsty again. He said, if you drink the water in this well, you're going to be thirsty again. In other words, satisfied is really what Jesus is talking about. He said, if you drink this water and you look at this water in this well as your source of life, then you're not going to be satisfied because your body is designed to need more and want more because this isn't going to be enough to sustain you. So it's not going to satisfy you. It's not going to fulfill you. You're going to have to come back to this well at some point. He said, but if you drink of the water that I have to offer, you're going to be satisfied. You're never going to be thirsty again. The problem I have with what Jesus said is that I know that it's right. And I know that I said that I've drank of that water. But how many of us have said we've drank of that water that Jesus offers, but yet we're not satisfied in life? I've drank of that water, Pastor. Yeah, I know, I've drank of it too. But there's been times in my life where I'm not satisfied because I think I have to have more stuff to be satisfied. So it begs the question, am I really drinking the water? Or do I just know the right things to say in the right situations? Am I really pursuing Him? Am I really allowing Him to be the source of life? Am I really allowing Him to satisfy me like no one else can? Because sometimes I get thirsty for other things. Sometimes I get hungry for other things other than what Jesus said in Matthew 5, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Sometimes I get hungry for stuff. Sometimes I get hungry for peace. Sometimes I get hungry for joy, and I, I'm looking for it from places that can only provide a temporary fix of a false uh, way of true peace and true joy. I think that if I get stuff, that somehow that's going to satisfy me. But let me tell you, folks, I'm, I get thirsty. Jesus said that if you allow me to be your source, if you allow me to be the one that truly gives you everything that you need, if you allow me to be the answer, not money, you're going to be satisfied. So what that means, I was talking to somebody last night, and we kind of talked some of this out, and it was a good, good chat, is that, yeah, you may have bought things, on credit that you couldn't pay for because you wanted that thing now. And so you spent a bunch of money thinking this was going to make you happy and now you have the bill and you're not happy. And you're having to find out how am I going to pay for this and now there's additional stress in your home, stress in your marriage, stress in your life that you're having to get two, three jobs for so you can somehow hopefully pay for the stuff that you thought you needed that you thought was going to bring you what you thought you wanted. And now that you're in that predicament, you look at that and you go, money's the answer. No, folks, let me tell you something. If you repent and recognize Jesus is the answer, if you recognize that he is the answer and he's all, your need, all you need, then he will give you the peace that you need, the peace you were searching for, the joy you were searching for right in the middle of that storm that perhaps you created through your own selfishness and poor management of God's funds. He can give you peace in the middle of that storm. And then he can give you the strategy to help you to walk in the victory that he desires for you. Because if you're stressed out under a mountain of debt, that's not God's best for you. Amen? It's not. 
It's not God's best for you. If you're stressed out about money, it is not God's best for you. God's best for you is Jesus. And Jesus will give you what money can never give you, no matter how much or how little you may have. And when you figure that out, then you're at peace. And you're not looking at having money and being out of debt to bring you peace. I can have peace while I'm in debt. I can have peace while I can't pay the bills. I can have peace while I am frustrated with the situation at work. I can have peace in the middle of marriage troubles. I can have peace in the middle of all of this turmoil and junk going on because I realize Jesus is my source. And when you recognize that, then he begins to give you the strategies to walk that victory out because you're already walking in victory because you've recognized who your source is. That's good stuff right there. I hope you're writing that down because I need to be writing it down. Because I was just talking to somebody last night about a situation that I was freaking out about and something that had upset my heart. And and I was just talking about things that had just been weighing on me. And I just recognized, I guess just right here in this moment, Jesus is all I need. He's my source. Jesus is my source. Jesus satisfies you because he is life. When you look at things from an eternal perspective, it changes everything. Because that's how God looks at everything. God sees the big picture. He looks at everything from an eternal perspective. You and I look at everything from a fix-it-now, short-term perspective. We freak out about the little things. We sweat the small stuff because we're so concerned with our temporary life here on earth that we don't think like Jesus when he said to lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. He said, because where your treasure is, where your money is, that's where your heart is going to be too. So, so he said, where are you laying up treasures? Where are you investing in? Are you investing in eternal things? Or are you more concerned with temporary things that you are stressed out about all this temporary stuff because somebody told you you didn't matter unless you lived in this kind of house or drove this kind of car, had this kind of job? Because you bought into that lie that you're somehow insignificant because you're not earning as much as someone else, that you're somehow insignificant because you've tried things before and they failed, that you're somehow insignificant because you don't do this or that. And we go, God, fix me. And and the way I was brought up, the way I was taught, and it was wrong, but I was taught that if I had a lot of things that I was actually showing people how much God loved me because I was blessed. No, no. The blessing of God is Jesus. And when I recognize that he's more than enough, then it doesn't matter if I live in a prosperous nation like America or if I live in a third world country, Jesus can still be enough for me. I can be persecuted for the cause of Christ. I could be chased down for my life. I could be threatened with prison and all types of things. But if Jesus is enough, then I have everything I need. Paul and Barnabas understood that. That's why when they were in prison, they began to worship God. They began to sing praises to Him. And then what did God do? He brought victory. Here's the thing, though. Even though God does want us to live with an eternal perspective, and that's how you and I are supposed to manage His money and His things that He has given us, because it's all His, the earth is the Lord, and the fullness thereof, Right? He does care for us here on the earth and he has entrusted us with responsibilities for his glory and his purpose. So that means that the things that he has given us here on this earth, he's entrusted us with and he wants us to grow in our stewardship and in wisdom. So God will give you wisdom in your growth as a manager of what is his. He will give you 
growth. He will give you wisdom. The Bible says if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask because God gives it freely. Romans 12 and verse 2 says don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, change the way you're thinking because if you're managing poorly, you need to learn how God thinks so you can begin to manage the way God wants us to manage by allowing Him and who He is and His Word to begin to work on those areas of our heart. You see, this world has a pattern that is trying to conform us to. This world has a pattern of debt. This world has a pattern of selfishness. This world has a pattern of entitlement that you owe me. This world has a pattern of laziness. And we are told in Romans 12 and 2, the pattern of this world, don't conform to that. Because it's not going to change anything. You're going to be dealing with the same junk everyone else is dealing with if you conform to that pattern because you're thinking like everyone else, because you're living like everyone else, because you haven't opened up yourself to allow God to get a hold of your heart because you just bought into the lie that this is how it's supposed to be. And he said, don't conform to that. You're of a different group. You're of a different tribe. You're of a different land. He said, don't you know that you were bought with a price? Don't you know that when Christ gave his life for you, that he paid that debt that you could never pay? Don't you know that you've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and you're now into the kingdom of his son? Don't you know you're a part of something different? So we need to be thinking differently because we're not supposed to be conformed to the pattern. We want to be conformed to the pattern. It's easy to slip into that. It's easy to fall into that. But he said, don't do that. Don't conform. In other words, he's saying, think differently than everyone else. Because God will give you strategies that will help you to walk out the victory because you understand that he is your source. And you're not getting impatient with him, but you're saying, God, I'm trusting in you every step of the way. And until I know the next step, I'm going to keep doing what you've called me and told me to do in this step. And then when you tell me to take the next step, I'm going to take the next step because I know that you're there and I know that you're in it. And you're going to give me growth. You're going to give me wisdom. You're going to lead me and guide me into all truth by your Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. So what that means is that even when it comes to giving, I, I remember hearing this growing up. I remember people telling me to give your way out of your problems. In other words, take the money that you have and just keep giving it because God's eventually going to pay you back. And God's eventually going to take care of everything. And so there were people in the church that I grew up in that I know didn't have a pot to pee in. And they were giving away everything that they had because the motive was, I'm going to get more stuff back. And they thought, I heard this growing up, you can't outgive God. And, and, and that's true. You can't outgive God in the sense of He's already given His best, Jesus Christ. But when we're talking about money, yeah, you can keep giving and being a poor steward of what God has given you if your heart's motive is to get stuff in return and your heart isn't truly to give out of love and obedience and because it's a joy to give. If you're looking at it as just some quick, get, get rich, quick scheme then you're not being a good manager because your heart is wrong. 
Hello, somebody. You need to understand something that giving won't solve your money problems, but wisdom will. And when you find wisdom, you're going to want to give. But you're going to give in a way that is wise, in a way that is in your heart. And not because you're looking at it as a way to fix all of your problems. Because you heard some preacher on TV say, send me a thousand dollar check and all your dreams will come true. I grew up in that church that taught that, believed that. I remember seeing on TV one time there was a pastor that was selling two different kinds of oils. They were anointing oils from the land of Jerusalem. One of them was dyed red and one of them was dyed green. I'll let you guess what they were for. The red one was love oil and the green one was money oil. And I remember for 1995 you could order your set of anointed holy land oil and if you would send your check in, then this pastor was going to pray over that oil. He was going to send it to you, and you were supposed to take it and put it on all your stuff, and you were going to just be so blessed. So in other words, people are giving to this thing. I remember a lady said, I got my love oil in, and I got my money oil in, and I'm driving a new BMW, and I've got a ring on my finger. Praise the Lord. Really? That's a perversion of the gospel. That's a perversion of the gospel as looking at things to somehow be my source of satisfaction. When Jesus never said things are going to satisfy you. He said that water, you're going to be thirsty again. You drink of me and you allow me to be your source, you're never going to be thirsty again. Amen. You want to know how I know that's true? Because I've been to a foreign country. And every time you see a group of people go to a foreign country on a short-term mission trip, when they come back, somebody is going to inevitably say, our nation is so blessed and we have so much and we don't even realize it and they don't have very much at all. Somebody's going to say that when they come back from that trip. And we're going to think that we're blessed because of what we have and what they don't. But I've been on mission trips before. I went to a little village in Mexico where they didn't even have electricity. And I went to a church that was made of sticks, mud, and cardboard on the walls. And those people had a love for God that I have rarely seen. There was a passion and a love for Jesus that goes unmatched by a lot of our big churches in America. These people had a sound system that sounded terrible. It was two tiny little speakers that were blown out and distorted. And they sang as loud and as off-key as they knew how. The guy leading worship was not good. He was not a professional. He was maybe dreamed of being in a mariachi band. I don't know, but he was bad. But it didn't matter. You want to know why? Because they found satisfaction and joy in Jesus. He became more than enough for them. So a new sound system wasn't their answer. A better praise and worship leader wasn't their answer. A better building wasn't their answer. They had something that people who have all of those things are missing. So don't tell me that we have to have all of this to be truly passionate and worship God. Because I saw it done in a stick church made of mud and cardboard. I saw people who were satisfied in Jesus. 
that didn't need me to come in and try to make their church more like an American church that had money. Money wasn't going to fix their issue. They had already found more than enough in Jesus. Luke chapter 16 and verse 10 says this. Jesus said, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, unrighteous mammon is money, who will commit to you the trust of true riches? Jesus said we need to be faithful in what we have been given and what we are stewarding. So we're going to use it to the best of our ability to glorify God because that's what's in our heart to do, to bring glory to God. Because that's really our purpose is to bring glory to Him, right? So if we're to bring glory to Him, then I need to figure out how do I look at the money that I have, the finances that I have, and use wisdom in it. Because wisdom will change our money issues. Amen? Not giving to get wisdom. So what does biblical wisdom say? I, I remember there was a guy one time in a church that thought that he could give his way out of his problems. He was millions, listen to me, millions of dollars in debt. Millions. <coughs> millions of dollars in debt was running a business that was not doing very well, and he had some poor management practices. He had some poor uh, uh, principles and business ethics that he ran his business off of, evaded some certain tax instances, and slipped a lot of money under the table and things like that. But he was one of the biggest givers to our church, the church that I was at years ago. He was one of the biggest givers. Matter of fact, he, I, I remember one time he gave $25,000 in order for us to be able to do some things in the church. One time offering. Wow. twenty-five grand in one shot? That's amazing. Wow. And he came to me one day and he said, Pastor, I don't understand. I gave money for this. I gave money for that. I gave this amount. I gave that amount. I gave that amount. And I don't understand why my business is failing and why God is not blessing me. He was mad at God because he had heard some preacher come along and preach a selfish message about giving to get, and he thought he could give his way out of his problems instead of learning wisdom. He thought that the bigger amounts that he gave, the more blessed he would be. But yet he kept going down and down, and he ended up losing almost everything before it was said and done. But he thought that his brand of righteousness was giving, and I'm going to get... But yet he didn't because he never started walking in wisdom. He kept making poor decisions, kept his unethical business practices, didn't manage and steward what he had properly, made foolish decisions. And so understand something. Jesus talks so much about money because he knows that money is directly connected to our heart. And Jesus sees right through what we do, and he sees the motive. We can say what our motive is all day long, but he knows. And he knows what part of our lives that he really owns and really has. And he wants us to grow in wisdom, to be able to be better stewards of what belongs to him. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to give you some wisdom principles from God's word concerning finances before we go today. The first one is this. 
God is your source. Amen, somebody. God is your source. Not man, not your job, not money. God is your source. Philippians 4 and 19 says that, And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. My God's going to supply all of your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God is your source. Amen? Amen. He satisfies like no one or nothing else will. Now, does He bless us with things? Sure He does. But that is to be used for His glory. It is something that He wants us to manage for His glory. Our benefit is secondary from the purpose. Always remember that. The second thing is that giving is essential. Luke 6 and 38, Jesus said this, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. He says, listen, giving is important. And the blessings of God don't always come in the form of monetary gain. Because Jesus said, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where thief can't steal and moth can't destroy and rust can't corrode. Amen, somebody? But he said, give because it's in your heart, not because of what I'm going to get in return, but give because I trust God and it's, and it's my way of, of, of exercising the principle of the tithe that helps me to recognize that this isn't mine. This isn't mine. This is God's. I'm going to give. Why? Because it continually reminds me this is not mine. This is His. And it's all His, not just the 10%. Hello, somebody. Right? If we think that 10% is what we owe God, we're going to pay the God bill, we're wrong. If you look at giving as a bill, then let me tell you something. You're wrong. It's not a bill. It is something that all belongs to Him, and this is my way of investing in eternal things and recognizing this is not mine, but it's His. It continually humbles me. <laughs> That's another sermon for another day. Third thing, set boundaries with healthy margins. We can look at Proverbs 21. <clears throat> Proverbs 21 and verse 20 says that there is a desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling place of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. Then listen, a wise person is going to have things because they're being wise with what God has given them. A foolish person is going to squander it away. So we need to learn to set boundaries and have healthy margins in our life and learn to live within our means. And this is a principle of wisdom that God wants us to understand. The fourth thing is stay away from debt as a means to accumulate stuff. Hello, amen, pastor. That's good. Hallelujah. Stay away from debt as a means to accumulate stuff. If we're just charging things and floating debt... Because of stuff, the Bible says in Proverbs 22 and 7 that the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is the servant to the lender. So the borrower is slave to the lender. We're the servant of the lender when we do that because we're using debt so we can get more stuff. It's all about living within our means, not creating unnecessary stress because there's something we think we have to have. Number five, learn how to be content. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13 and verse 5 says, 
Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For the Lord himself says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Be content with what we have. And allow God to lead us and guide us in wisdom as he entrusts us with more. Be content with what God has blessed us with. Learn to be content wherever you may be in life because Jesus is the one that satisfies. When I understand that, I'll be content anywhere. I can be like Paul sitting in prison and be content because I know that Christ is enough. Amen? Amen. That's where Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've learned how to be a base. I've learned how to abound. But in all things, I've learned to do this because I can do anything. Because it's Christ who's enough. It's Christ who gives me strength. The sixth thing, educate yourself financially to be a good steward. Learn to save, learn to invest, learn to budget, etc. That's Matthew 25 where Jesus is talking about the parable of the men with the talents. He said that I have, you've been faithful over these few little things that I've given you. Now I'm going to make you ruler over many things. And he gave them more because their responsibility increased because they were wise with what they had been entrusted with and given. So educate yourself. Uh, there's a great book that I've read about 10 times, and, and I'm reading it again. I'm in the book right now, and uh, I think it's a great book if you don't have a copy of it. It's a book by a man named Robert Kiyosaki. It's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It just gives you a lot of really interesting perspectives on how people view finances. And, and he talks about the importance of financial literacy and financial education and understanding how that stuff works. So that stuff is not something that we're always afraid of losing. So it's not something that we're afraid of giving away or we're afraid of investing in something that is eternal or taking care of our children and laying up something for them to where they can have their uh, inheritance because the Bible talks about that as well. So we need to educate ourselves. And I believe we're also going to do that through the Dave Ramsey class that we're starting today as well, is educating ourselves and being smart with what God has given us so we can be good managers. The seventh thing, be diligent and dependable with your work and your business. Proverbs 28 and 19. Proverbs 28. This brings me back to the days of when I was a kid and we would do like the speed drills in our Bible and see who could get there the quickest. Proverbs 28 and 19 says... He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows frivolity will have poverty enough. So if we live our life frivolously, so we're not going to have we're, we're not going to have enough. It says, but if we're working and we're diligent with what we have and we're dependable in our job, because you've got to understand something: when we're diligent at our job, when we're dependable on our job, what are we doing? We're glorifying God because we're showing what really matters. We're showing that he is really a great God and he's dependable, he's faithful. And so I want to live my life in a dependable and faithful way. So we need to be diligent and dependable with our work. The uh, eighth thing is seek wise counsel. Psalm 1 and 1. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or sit in the seat of scorners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of living water. So we need to seek wise counsel, not be found in the counsel of the corrupt. A lot of times people want to give you advice and you say, you know what, I don't really want to seek advice from people who are in the same situation that I'm in. Amen. I remember there was a couple that was very influential in my wife and I's life. They were older than us and 
they were very wise with their finances, very good stewards, and they advised us in a number of areas. Some of the advice we took, some of it we didn't, and I look back and I go, wish I would have, right? One of those, oh, wish I would have listened things because that person really didn't know what they were talking about type things. And I look back on that and I, I see, wow, but they really helped us a lot. They really mentored us. And I, I used to, uh, this guy was way more uh, wealthy than I, I could uh, ever imagine at that time in my life. And, and I was going, wow, this guy has come from nothing and done so many incredible things. And uh, he ended up working for a guy uh, for the first uh, you know, 10 years of his adult life. And he said, I could do this better. And he goes off and starts his own company and ends up buying the guy before it's all over with the guy he used to work for, and this guy didn't even graduate high school. And this guy was sharp as a tack. And then he began to develop another business and another business, and he bought his 10-year-old son a dog breeding business. And now his son is almost 18 and has all kinds of money and, 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 and is doing well. Because, why? Because his dad taught him how to run business and invested that wisdom in him, sought wise counsel. I'm going, wow, this guy's incredible. So here's what he used to do. Every Tuesday we went out to lunch, and he used to make me pay for lunch. I was working on the church salary. I was barely making enough money to take care of me and my wife. And he wants me to pay for lunch. Those were the best investments I ever had, though, because he knew what he was doing. I remember one of the coolest stories about him. I'll just tell you this one real quick. He had the coolest truck. His name was Donnie. I love Donnie's truck. I used to love riding around in Donnie's truck because you felt like you were bad when you rode in Donnie's truck. Because it was one of those, you know, it didn't just have the step side. It had like five steps going up to it. You had to climb this ladder to get up in this giant truck. And when he started, it was like, boom, you know. All the windows would shake, you know. I mean, this was an awesome truck. And it was very expensive. And Donnie was very particular about it. And it was immaculate. And I loved riding around in that truck. And one day, he comes to pick me up for lunch in this blue truck that barely looked like it cranked. And I said, where's the... Vroom, vroom, vroom. Where's it at? He said, God spoke to my heart and told me to sell it. He said, I need some humility. He said, so God told me to drive this for five years. <laughs> he said, I sold my boat, sold my truck. He said, God, he said, and I saw that blue truck sitting on the side of the road, had a for sale sign in it. He said, it was, it was $2,500, I believe. He said, God told me, you're going to drive that for five years. This kind of guy that I hung out with every Tuesday. Good man of God, good friend. Seek wise counsel. Number nine, don't be angry or envious of those who have wealth. <coughs> don't be angry or envious of those who have wealth. I could also add, and position. Amen. Because if you find yourself angry or envious at someone, even if you're a person who does have wealth, don't be jealous and try to keep up because of what they have. Oh, they bought a new car, so I have to buy a new car. They re-landscaped their house. I have to do the same. I have to keep up. And, and oh, no, and I'm not important, and I'm going to play the game. No, 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 no. Don't be angry or envious of somebody who has great means because you don't understand the weight a lot of times that comes with responsibility. And just because somebody looks like they have a lot of stuff and it looks like they're happy, you don't know what goes on behind those doors. You don't know. You don't know what kind of junk they're dealing with because of all of that stuff. So don't just look at the stuff and go, I've got to have it, and I'm angry because they have it and I don't. That's a trap of Satan. That envy is junk, and it is a mess, and it will mess you up, folks. 
be content with where we're at and don't be angry or envious of someone who has a position you don't have or someone in your work maybe that got the promotion that you thought you deserved or maybe your boss that you think, oh, if I had his job, I could do it better than him. If you're thinking that way, you're wrong. You need to repent. Number 10. This is the best one on the whole list. Jesus is always enough. Always, 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 is always, going to be, never going to stop being enough. He satisfies. It's His water that you and I need to drink that truly satisfies our soul, satisfies our deepest longings. And when we find that out, when, if we could figure out number 10, if we could get a hold of that by pursuing Him, by seeking and hungering and thirsting after righteousness and truly be filled, everything else would just not matter nearly as much as we've made it matter. Matthew 6 and 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. We're never told in the Scripture to seek things. He said, matter of fact, don't you know that God understands your need of what you actually need. He, don't you know he's going to take care of you if he takes care of the flowers and the birds and how much more important are you than those things? Don't you know God cares about you more than birds and flowers? I mean, don't you know how much more special you are? When we understand this, it's going to change everything. It's going to help us understand God's provision for prosperity. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for everyone here. Thank you so much, Father. As we Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.